Welcome to the SRUC podcast. I'm William Ansell, Digital Manager at SRUC, and today I'm joined by Lorraine Johnston, who is SRUC's Bee Advisory Officer. This is episode three of our series on beekeeping. Now that we are almost into summer, swarming is a hot topic for beekeepers, and we're going to make sure you have the right advice so you don't get stung by it, if you pardon the pun. So Lorraine, welcome to the podcast, and um, my first question to you is, what is swarming? Swarming's a really exciting uh, time for beekeepers, if I can call it exciting. It's uh, also quite uh, stressful. Um, But it's when about half of the bees in a hive leave with the old queen to find a new home. And uh, it's quite something to see if you ever get the chance to see, if you ever come upon a swarm. It's quite incredible to see and hear the sound of them swarming. Um, but it's basically how they reproduce as the bees in the remaining in the hive have the means to make a new queen and grow further from that. And the, the bees that have left the hive um, will survive with their new queen. It's how they reproduce as the bees remaining in the hive have the means to make a new queen. And why do bees swarm? They swarm for quite a few reasons, um, as well as to reproduce. They may swarm because the hive is too full of bees and they need to find a new home. Or perhaps the queen is beginning to get old and they want to make a new one. Um, The time of year as well. This is swarm season um, when the weather's uh, getting really good and sunny and beautiful. so lots of reasons, yeah. And what does a swarm look like? How can you tell that it's a swarm? Well, it's really quite interesting. Um, bees often do swarm and gather on a low branch or hedge at first, not that far from the hive. And then what they do is they send out scout bees to find a new permanent home, which may be uh, in a tree, another hive, or unfortunately in someone's chimney or roof space. Um, and they, it, it's really fascinating if you see a swarm, they, they are generally uh, very calm um, and in a teardrop shape. And they send out the scout bees and the scout bees come back and do um, the waggle dance to tell the other bees where they might have found a really good home. And to begin with, there's a, a bit of a debate about where that home is and, and eventually the communication between the bees, um, they decide which is the most suitable for them and then they will um, fly off to their new home. Uh, they gather in the teard- a teardrop kind of shape around the queen to protect her and if they've been there for a while, they might actually even... Uh, build a bit of wild comb. Great, great. So what should you do if you see a swarm? Well, although they're they're quite calm because they've they've filled their stomachs with honey in preparation for the move, uh, you should actually not approach them still. They can still sting. They will be um, protecting their queen. So stay away from them and make sure that they they really are honeybees. A lot of beekeepers get a lot of calls about um, bumblebees, wasps, 
solitary bees and and they can't really help with those but um so for example if they're they're in the ground or a bird box they're often bumblebees and if they're coming out of a hole in the wall um they may be mason or solitary bees um but like i said that teardrop shape with thousands of bees in it it is is a honeybee swarm um and what you should do really is try to find a local beekeeper but you know how you go about that not many people know so you can actually look on the scottish beekeepers association website for your local beekeeping association um the local beekeeping associations normally have uh, a local swarm coordinator so you can look on their website or facebook page as well and they will put you in touch with a, a local beekeeper who can hopefully come and uh, get the the swarm safely um you can also get contacts from facebook or or google um generally um but the safest way is probably to find someone through your local beekeeping association. Uh, they will send out somebody who knows what they're doing. Uh, you'll often be asked to send a clear picture as um, they only deal with honeybees and not other bees. Um, and they do get lots of call outs for, for those which um, can be time wasting. Councils these days will will not collect swarms, um, but they also might have contacts. Um, you should also think about as well where where the swarm is. If if it has gone into a building or it's really high up, the beekeeper may not be able to collect it, um, and you may need specialist uh, assistance for that, like a bee a bee removing company or something. And how does a beekeeper try to prevent the swarming? Well, it's a beekeeper's duty to try to prevent the bees swarming because they can be a, a, a nuisance, um, but also it can cause problems for the beekeeper. Um, it is not easy to prevent swarming because it's a natural process. Um, so it does take um, experience, although I've yet to meet, to meet a beekeeper who... Uh, they might say that their bees don't swarm, but uh, for most beekeepers, the bees uh, uh, can be quite sneaky and the, they'll just sneak away uh, without the beekeeper noticing sometimes. Um, but there are lots of different swarm prevention methods, although they don't actually stop the bees from swarming because it, it's a natural instinctive behaviour. But the swarm prevention methods can delay it. Um, so the beekeepers can give the bees more space by adding um, frames of foundation, frames of drawn comb, supers, extra boot boxes. Um, they may decide to requeen their hive. Um, hives with new queens uh, tend not to swarm in the first year, although that's not impossible either. And uh, a few a few beekeepers may also clip the queen's wing so that if she tries to swarm, she'll land nearby and the bees will actually go back into the hive, hopefully. Um, but a lot of beekeepers don't want to do that. Um, I mean, it doesn't harm the queen in any way, um, but they, they prefer not to. 
Um, you can also perform manipulations with the hive, um, such as something called a demerie or make up a nuke. Um, but those would take another podcast to describe uh, how you do that. And you're probably better off seeing um, visual pictures and practicing these um, methods rather than listen to it on a podcast. Um, and some beekeepers will put out what they call a bait hive. Um, and we actually did this last week. We've had a bait hive out in one of our apiaries. We weren't really expecting the bees to swarm because we'd inspected them for queen cells, charged queen cells. Um, but they, like I say, bees often don't read the books. They'll do whatever they want. And uh, we were lucky enough that the, the bees swarmed and moved into that bait hive. So that's usually got, you know, some frames of comb in it or some people put lemongrass at the entrance. Um, and that means that you, you kind of save losing your bees. And what is swarm control? So swarm control is different from swarm prevention in that the bees have already decided they're going to swarm. And beekeepers can tell this by when they look in the hive, queen cells often are uh, longer and filled full of royal jelly. So that's what we call a charged queen cell. And if we see that, we know that the bees are preparing to swarm. And they'll often make more than one of these. So uh, we try to do certain processes which make the bees think that they have swarmed. Um, so as not to cause a, a public nuisance and it hopefully controls the swarming. Um, there are lots, again, there are lots of methods and manipulations you can do this uh, by using things such as the Pagden method, the Nuke method, the Shooksworm method, but it depends on the beekeeper what they, what they choose to do, what suits them, what suits that particular situation. Um, but again, more detail can be found on in places like the SBA, the Scottish Beekeepers Association website, and the BeeBase website, they are really good sources of information on swarming. And there's a wide array of books out there that uh, explain these methods in detail. And why is it important to control swarming? Well, there are, there are some people who do believe that, you know, in natural beekeeping, it's a natural process that you should just let the, the bees swarm. But unfortunately, that can cause a public nuisance. So there are lots of situations you might see uh, on the internet or on the TV, you know, bees have swarmed in a city, uh, onto a car, into a school. Uh, so we want to prevent that happening and people getting stung or, you know, the bees just being a, a pest in that way. Um, but the really key things for beekeepers are that it, it does prevent disease spreading. If you pick up a swarm and you don't know its origin, it could have disease. So if you brought that straight into your apiary um, without, you know, thinking about it, you could actually be bringing in um disease or if you let your bees swarm all of the time and you're unaware you've got disease uh, you know you're spreading it to your neighbours so it's really um, important that you think about 
um, disease uh, and swarming because they're, they're very much linked and that is one way that disease spreads amongst bees. Um, things like European fowl broods um, can spread uh, varroa moves with the bees as well. So, you know, it's really important that beekeepers try to control their swarming for each other, really. But they also want to prevent doing it because it, it means that they're losing their bees. If the if the swarms disappear and they don't know where they've gone, they've lost half the half the hive. Um, and that can weaken the hives. And if if you actually control the swarming, it means that you've got strong hives, you'll get a good honey crop, and they'll be strong enough to go into the winter. And what beekeepers often do, it's it's a way of increase for beekeepers if they manage to keep uh, you know, they've now got two colonies rather than one. And if they want to expand, it's a good way for them to expand. But if they're only wanting, you know, to keep their, what, two hives, you can actually combine the um, second hive to the first one before the winter. And that means they'll go through the winter quite strong as well. Can you describe a simple method of swarm control that might help beekeepers? Yeah, and again, I, I would advise that people go and have a read up on the, the different methods, including this one, because it's not so easy to remember just from someone telling you. Um, but I use the nuke method of swarm control um, because I don't need as much equipment, because I find it quite simple and straightforward. Um, I, I do teach it to uh, beginners as well. Um, so basically, when I see a a charged queen cells in my hive, I aim to find the queen. It's really important that I find the queen. So I put her in the, the nucleus box, which is a smaller box with about six frames. And I put it, her in there with two frames of brood, two frames of food, and a frame of foundation or drawn comb. So I find that fairly straightforward to remember. Two frames of food, two frames of food, and a frame of foundation or drawn comb. Then what I do is I shake in some nurse bees from the original hive. Because if you've got brood in that nuke, you are wanting some nurse bees to look after that brood. Um, and it also helps with swarm control because you you know you're separating the queen and the nurse bees from the foraging bees in the original hive and there's fewer bees in the original hive and they'll be less likely to swarm. So then the next step is I, I usually move that nuke to another apiary more than three miles away because if I don't, those um, any foraging bees will go back to the original site. Um, or I close the entrance with sappy grass so the bees will reorientate if I'm keeping it in the same apiary. So it means that, you know, they can't get out for the first three days and go back to the original hive. So three is a, quite a key number when you're remembering about swarming. So, um, you know, this prevents them just leaving that nuke box and going back to the original hive. I'll then feed the nuke after a few days if, if it's needed. 
Um, I, I usually use fondant because that reduces robin if, you know, you've got a smaller colony and they can smell the, uh, the food in there. Fondant's not as easy to collect as sugar syrup. But that's not, that's not it over. You really, really need to check a few things. So on the day that I make up the nuke, I choose one charged queen cell in the original hive. So that's a, a queen cell that has royal jelly and a larvae in it. And I destroy all the other queen cells. Now, it really doesn't work if you think, right, oh, I've got charged queen cells. I'm going to take down all of the cells. Um, that'll stop them swarming. It will for a couple of days, but they'll just make more quicker. Um, and that can lead to that hive still swarming. So what I, some people also leave two cells, but I feel that um, that actually can lead to something called a cast swarm, where a smaller swarm leaves uh, you know, if you've got two queens in there, one of them will go with some more bees. Um, I feel that using the nuke method, I've got the old queen there as a backup um, if it doesn't work. But going back to the original hive, it's important to mark the frame where the cell is. Because in seven days, and it has to be seven days, I must go back and leave that one cell and take down all of the what are called emergency cells. Because the hive is queenless, they'll make lots of emergency cells. But I want to keep the one that I knew had uh, a larvae and um, I want to keep the one that had larvae and royal jelly in it. Um, so it's really important uh, that you do reduce the cells or you will get cast swarms leaving. So if you, for example, picked one, took down all the rest and didn't go back in seven days, you'd have lots of emergency cells and a swarm, a small swarm would leave with each of those queens emerging and it will have a massive impact on your hive. Um, but if you do it all correctly, fingers crossed, it will work and the weather will be lovely enough for the queen to go out and get mated. And I usually leave the, the, that original hive alone for four to five weeks to allow the new queen to mate and then start inspections again. Because we're in Scotland, it, like in England, when the weather's great, some people go and check after three weeks. But in Scotland, I've found it can be a lot later because of the weather, because of uh, perhaps the remoteness and the chances of getting made. Um, so don't don't panic if you don't see anything after sort of four weeks. And finally, what if you can't find the Queen? Well, it's really important that you do for this to work. So, you know, it may be that you might actually go through the hive a couple of times, but they are quite elusive sometimes. And what I tend to do if I can't find the queen is I do the same, but I go back in a couple of days as it'll be easier to see the queen or the queen's eggs as there are fewer bees in the box. And then I can find out where she is, put her in the in the nuke if necessary and that actually 
works for me. Um, other beekeepers will have other ways of, of finding the nuke, maybe shaking the, the bees through a queen excluder or something like that. But uh, there is also a leaflet on bee base on a method to use when you can't find the queen. So again, I would direct people to um, further information on bee base. That's fascinating. Uh, thank you so much, Lorraine, for imparting all that knowledge. It's uh, such an interesting subject and I'm sure our uh, beekeeping listeners will find a lot of tips and hints in there that will help them through the summer. Uh, I just want to say to our listeners, thank you for joining us on this episode of the SIC podcast. As usual, you can listen to all our episodes on your podcast app of choice and you can also listen online to all our episodes at sruc.ac.uk forward slash podcasts. Lorraine, thank you so much for your time. Thank you.